0: We study God's Word together, and as we typically do, the first sermon of the year is reserved for kind of a, a sermon on what we hope the Lord will do in our church in this coming year. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and looking at these characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces in the hearts of God's people, and we need this as a church. And so let's stand together out of respect for God's Word as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, we're going to focus most especially on verse 7 this morning. But I want us to read verses 1 to 7 as we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. So again... I want to say Happy New Year, and I know many of us are happy to be able to say Happy New Year because 2020 was a difficult year, wasn't it? And I think many of us have experienced kind of hits over and over again from hard and scary things in 2020. So this novel uh, coronavirus, it came out of China and it entered all the nations of the world and led to lockdowns and mask wearing in ways that we have never experienced in our lives perhaps in the history of the world, I think we could say in the history of the world. We've experienced racial tension and racial frustration and racial violence that have flared up in ways that haven't been seen since the 1960s. That's a hard thing. It's a lot for our country to process and work on. We've witnessed a volatile election, and the results of that election is still kind of being contested. And we've also, as a church, faced the very real threat of disunity and division because Christians across the nation, and really across the world, are divided about how are we supposed to respond to all of the things that we've experienced. There's a lot of confusion there, and so it would have been very easy for us to have been brought into division and disunity as a church, and all this is alarming. And so in 2020, a major temptation that each one of us faced was kind of the, the temptation to be afraid and to pull back and to kind of withdraw and to protect ourselves and just kind of Watch and see. Okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the future? And while we hope for better things in 2021, the reality is that we're still facing these same challenges. Right? The coronavirus is still here. Apparently, racial tension still exists. No one knows what's going to happen on inauguration day as a new administration is set to come into power. And here's the thing for our church, most especially, because there's still this pressure. And of course, there's always the pressure of what Satan does in churches. There's still the temptation or there's still the opportunity for us to fall into division and disunity as a church if we, if we stop walking in love, right? If we stop welcoming one another, if we stop bearing with one another, oh yeah, that kind of thing could happen to our church. In short, in 2021, as we begin this year, we're facing the very same temptation, so it would be easy for us to, to fall into fear and to fall into hesitation and to withdraw and kind of pull back. What's going to happen? But this morning, I want us to be reminded by God's Word that those who follow Jesus never, ever have to give in to fear. If our lives are marked by panic or by anxiety or by fear, we are living far below our privileges as those who follow Jesus. Because we have not been born again to live fearful lives. We've been born again. The Holy Spirit of God has been given to us so that we can live boldly and courageously, hope-filled lives in this present world and and that hope and that joy and that courage is not to be dictated by our circumstances it is to be dictated and given to us by the reality of what we possess in jesus by the reality of the salvation we have by the reality this morning brother sister sitting where you are god lives within you the holy spirit of god lives within you this morning so we have these tremendous wonderful resources And that's what you see in this passage, right? This is what you see particularly in verse 7. You see what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer is not fear, but it's power, and it's love, and it's self control. And we'll talk about what self control is. And so that's my prayer for our church. I can think of no better prayer for us to be praying together as a church than that our church would increasingly be marked by these traits, right? By these resources that the Holy Spirit gives us. So we're. Looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 this morning, it's one verse. It is filled with truth about who we are, and as we've always been saying here at this church, it's who we are in Christ, that should dictate the way that we live, right? Who we are should dictate the way we live, and so this is a passage that can teach us how to live well as Christians. Let me give you just a little bit of background on 2 Timothy before we focus more especially on verse 7 of chapter 1. Many of you know that 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's last letter. So he is in prison in Rome at this point. Uh, He is facing death for uh, the gospel because he's been faithful to preach the gospel. And so he's writing to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son in the faith, a really close relationship. Timothy had traveled with Paul and ministered along with Paul. And Paul loved Timothy. And Paul was really in this letter of 2 Timothy He's really kind of passing the baton of gospel ministry on to Timothy, He's telling Timothy, it's time for you to stand up and take the gospel and carry the gospel forward because, of course, Paul was going to be passing from the scene. But at this point in Timothy's life, Timothy was struggling. Yeah, he was struggling with fear. He was struggling with timidness. Really, Timothy's personality was like that. As you read through the New Testament, you'll see that here's a person whose natural disposition was not to put himself forward and to be bold and to be out front, but instead to be more timid, to be more fearful, to be more uh, afraid. He also was facing some scary realities. So there are challenges that come with just pastoring a church, right? You see your own limitations. You see the need of God's people. It's, it can be quite overwhelming. But then Timothy was also facing the challenges of other leaders, uh, false teachers, really, in the church who were stirring up controversy and division and were spreading false teaching in the church. And now Timothy's looking out, and he's seeing his mentor, his spiritual father, and his friend, the Apostle Paul, is about to die. So he's facing all of this. He had hard challenges before him. And as a result of these challenges, Timothy had begun to draw back. He had had begun to kind of give in to fear, and that had led him to to kind of fail in faithfulness in gospel ministry. He wasn't being as faithful to the gospel ministry as he should have been. And Paul knew about this. He knew about Timothy's timidness, his fearfulness. He knew that that fear was leading Timothy to draw back and to fail to be as faithful to the gospel as he should have been. And so look at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul exhorts Timothy in this way. He says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Other translations say, stir up the gift of God, which is in you. In other words, don't pull back. Instead, continue to faithfully minister according to the giftedness that you've been given by God. And in verse 7, which is going to be our verse for focus primarily this morning, Paul tells him why he should do that. Why? He should not pull back, but instead he should be faithful to the gospel ministry. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, as we said, as we enter 2021, Christ Fellowship Church is also facing challenges, and they're the kind of challenges which, if we're not careful, could lead us also to withdraw and to pull back and to give in to fear. It would be easy for us to act like Timothy in this moment, but here's the thing. We don't have to. We do not have to, because verse 7 was true of Timothy, and verse 7 is true of each and every one of us who follow Jesus together this morning. In Christ, we have been given every reason to reject fear and instead pursue effective ministry. If you're taking notes, that's going to be kind of the, the two points of our sermon this morning. I want us to see two reasons Christians can reject fear and instead pursue effective ministry. First reason is that Christians have not been given a spirit of fear. We're going to see that in the first part of verse 7. Christians have not been given a spirit of fear. We'll see that in the first part of verse 7. And then Christians have been given all they need to minister effectively. We'll see that as we look at the second part of verse 7. Christians have been given all they need to minister effectively. Now, I thought it was interesting what Jason said earlier. He was talking with us about the music and all the songs that are being put out there about fear, but if you've read through your Bible, you know that the Bible is absolutely full of God's admonition and encouragement and teaching on fear because it's a problem for all of us. Right? It's a problem for all of us. So we all need what Paul is going to say in this verse this morning. This first reason, Christians have not been given a spirit of fear. So why shouldn't Timothy give in to sinful fear and pull back from faithful gospel ministry? Paul says there at the beginning of verse seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. Now, many people believe that word spirit there refers to the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's possible, but I think it's more likely that Paul is speaking about what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of believers. It's not the Holy Spirit himself, but it's, it's the kind of spirit, it's the work of the spirit in the life of a believer that produces particular things in him or in her. And Paul's point is that the Holy Spirit of God does not produce fear in the life of a believer But it's very important for us to understand what Paul means by that word fear here. You see, this isn't the normal word for fear that Paul uses all throughout the rest of the New Testament. In fact, this word for fear is only used here. It's only used one time in the New Testament, only in this verse. This word for fear really speaks of cowardice. It's kind of a craven timidity, and it always has a negative connotation. Whenever it's used throughout all Greek literature, it has this negative connotation of cowardice. So what is cowardice? Well, well, cowardice is a fear that leads us to fail to fulfill our responsibilities. Cowardice is a fear that really kind of bullies us and makes us pull back because we're afraid that the cost of doing what we should do is just going to be too great. So we pull back from it. And it was cowardice that was keeping Timothy from ministering effectively in the church of Ephesus But by saying that God gave us a spirit, not a fear, Paul was pointing to Timothy and he's saying, listen, consider what the Holy Spirit does and what he doesn't do. And the Holy Spirit of God never produces cowardice in the hearts of his sons or daughters, the hearts of the sons and daughters of God. And so Timothy needed to reject the fear, reject the cowardice, and instead he needed to be faithful to fulfill the ministry that God had entrusted to him. Now, I want us just to make kind of one observation about this before we move on. Brothers and sisters, as we serve God, we will be tempted to give in to sinful fear. Right? That was true for Timothy. We see that here. It's going to be true for us as well. We will be tempted by fear of rejection, for instance. So Timothy, no doubt, was afraid of being rejected by the people of the church of Ephesus. It's a difficult thing in many ways to be in leadership. And it was that fear that was, was keeping him from proclaiming the gospel as faithfully as he should have. It was that fear of rejection that was keeping him from combating the false teaching of false teachers in the way that he should have. And as a result, his ministry was being impacted and false teaching was impacting the church. He was afraid of being rejected and it was leading him to cowardice. And here's the thing, as we minister in 2021, we will also have to face the fear of rejection. Sometimes it looks like knowing that I should share the gospel with someone, but I'm afraid that they're going to make fun of me. I'm afraid that they're going to reject me in that way, and so I don't. Sometimes it looks like knowing we should confront sin in the life of another church member. That's a hard thing to do, and we can be afraid that if I do that, I mean, I see that sin, I know it's affecting him, I know it's affecting his family, I know it's affecting his relationship, but if I do that, this relationship I have with him might be broken, and so we're we're kind of afraid of that, and we push back from loving our brother or sister in that way. It may be look like for our church being tempted not to stand up for what the Bible teaches about marriage and biblical sexuality in an age where that teaching is being abandoned and those who hold that teaching are being punished in one sphere of life after another, after another. In that moment, brothers and sisters, we're going to have to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't done that. And by God's grace, we will be able to minister faithfully even though we might be rejected. So maybe fear of rejection is it. It will also be a fear of being, we'll be tempted by a fear of failure. So think about Timothy here. He is, uh, he's a close associate of the Apostle Paul, but who's the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul's the Apostle of the Gentiles. Paul's actually the one who had planted this church in Ephesus. Paul had a tremendous ministry among this people. Paul was Timothy's spiritual father and mentor and hero, but now the church of Ephesus was a mess. It would have been so easy for Timothy to feel fear because, you know, he felt like he was failing. You know, he was afraid of letting Paul down, and that's something that we can face as well in ministry. Actually, many pastors burn themselves out because they're afraid of failure in ministry. You know, they feel like the church always has to be growing. They feel like every sermon has to be absolutely stellar. They feel like they continually need to be hearing about how their ministry is affecting people and impacting people And if they don't hear those things, if they don't see those things, they feel like they are failures in ministry. And deep down, listen, so many pastors are terrified that they're not living up to the task. Absolutely terrified. And what happens is over time, they get burned out under the weight of that fear. That happens to many, many pastors. And here's the thing. It happens to church members as well as they give themselves to minister to others in the church. They can be afraid in that same way, even though, and I think this is important, even though those fears reveal a heart of idolatry, where we're actually trusting in ourselves to do the work rather than trusting in God to do the work, where we're putting the weight of of gospel ministry on our shoulders instead of trusting God to carry the weight of the gospel ministry. Yeah, it can be a sinful idolatry in our hearts. Christ fellowship when we face the fear of failure we need to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear and we need to be very quick by God's grace to forsake that spirit of idolatry that causes us to look to ourselves as if we're the ones that can make this church do anything I don't know about you but I have no power to change anyone's hearts I have no power to save lost sinners I have no power to help people grow and become like Christ and you know what you don't either None of us have that power. So if we're going to minister effectively and if we're going to minister without fear, we're going to have to know that it is upon us to trust God to do the work. We have to trust him in 2021 to do the work of the ministry in our church. And praise God, he will. We may also be tempted by the fear of death. You know death would have certainly been on the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, on Timothy's mind. when he heard about the Apostle Paul and that he'd been imprisoned in Rome for the sake of the gospel, Timothy knew that he might also be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. Actually later on in Hebrews, you see that Timothy had been thrown in prison for the sake of the gospel. This would have certainly tempted Timothy to kind of back off from faithfulness in the ministry. Now in our experience in America up to this point, we haven't really experienced the kind of fear of death. In a way that many of our brothers and sisters in places like China and Iran and Afghanistan and Nigeria, they have faced those and they still are facing that fear. And yet we do know that even though our experience of persecution hasn't been that yet, you know, in time it could be, it simply could be. But as I considered the threat of death that Timothy was facing, it's occurred to me that we have been living under the fear of death in an unusual way for the past nine months, right? COVID-19 is this new thing, and it's made being together more dangerous. There's more of a physical threat from being together as a result of this illness. For some people, based on age and perhaps for existing medical conditions, it could be a deadly threat. So there's a new level of fear that we are experiencing, or at least being tempted to give into. And unless some miracle happens and the disease just vanishes or there's a treatment that's 100% effective or there's a vaccine that's 100% effective, the reality, brothers and sisters, is that we're going to need to learn to live with this illness for as long as we live. We're going to have to figure this out. That takes great wisdom. It also means that in one degree or another, to one degree or another, we're going to need to face the fear of death if we're going to figure out how to effectively minister to one another in the body of Christ. Now, many of us have been watching the service online for some months, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we provide that. You know, based on the medical information that we have right now, it's a very reasonable decision to kind of wait at home, watch, and try to protect other people. We certainly understand that. The thing is, it can't last forever. A church is not a group of people sitting back watching a screen. A church is a gathering of God's people. That, that has to happen at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. God's going to need to give us great wisdom. We're going to talk about that. But at some point, we're going to need to gather together to worship God and help one another grow. Why? Because that's the command we've received from Scripture. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near and so eventually, church, at some point, I don't know the timing. We're asking God to give us wisdom. At some point, we're going to need to gather back together in obedience to this command in order to worship the Lord and minister to one another. That will take great wisdom. For, for some of us, it will take facing this fear of death as well. We're going to need to process this and think through this in that moment we're going to need to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And we need to remember this, brothers and sisters, there's something worse than dying for a believer. There's something worse than dying for a believer. And what's worse than dying is living an unfruitful life. I think of Jim Elliott. He died at the age of 29, taking the gospel to the Alka Indians. He and four others were willing to die in order to take the gospel to the Alca. It was a threat. Why were they willing to do it? They were willing to risk their lives because they knew that their lives belonged to God. And they knew that God was sovereign over the days of their lives. And they wanted their lives to matter for King Jesus. And they trusted God. Listen, they trusted God regarding the time of their death. As a young man, Jim Elliott wrote this in a prayer. He said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, O God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's a good prayer. That's a prayer of a man who did not have a spirit of fear. It's a good model for us. So if we look at verse 7, the first part, we see the first reason why Christians can reject fear. And instead pursue effective ministry. Now there's a second reason that you see in the second part of verse 7. It's that Christians have been given all they need to minister effectively. Christians have been given all that they need to minister effectively. The second part of verse 7. So in in, uh, the first part, Paul gave Timothy the the negative reason, right? He often does that. He gives you the negative, and then he also gives you the positive. Negatively, we shouldn't give in to fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But positively, we should not give in to fear, and we should minister because God has given us everything we need for effective ministry. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The very spirit of God, listen, produces power. And love and self control in the hearts of those who belong to King Jesus. Power, love, and self control are vital spiritual resources that we need for ministry, and they're given to us by God. Praise God, they're given to us in abundance. So let's look at these these three spiritual resources that the Holy Spirit produces in the lives of believers. The first resource is power, right? It says, but power. The Greek word for power there is dunamis. It's the Greek word that gives us the English words dynamite or dynamic. And the idea is that the power that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer is not a weak thing. It's not an ineffectual power, but it's a mighty thing. It's a strong, it's an explosive power. It's the very power of God. So Timothy is fearful as he ministered in Ephesus right? He's looking at the enormity. Look what he's doing. looking at the enormity of the challenges that surround him. Somehow, he has to fill the Apostle Paul's shoes. Somehow, he has to stop this false teaching that is spreading. Somehow, he has to oppose these influential people in the church that were dividing the body. And he looked at his own resources, and he realized that he was insufficient, and so he was afraid. And so he pulls back, right? But Paul Paul's telling Timothy that he was forgetting something. You see, God does not expect us to minister in our own power. God knows that we're insufficient in of ourselves. God expects us to minister in His power, with His power. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. That's what Paul's telling us as well. God expects us to use His power for ministry. And what is the power of God like? It's tremendous. Brothers and sisters, it's infinite. It's explosive power. God's power is creation power. So just thought about some illustrations. Think of the sun that God created. Okay, the sun has been burning for 27, excuse me, for thousands of years at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know how hot that is. I just know that that's really really hot, and it's been burning really, really hot for a really, really long time, and it is 864,000 miles across, just this massive orb. It is a display of God's unimaginable power, but now think that that sun is just one star among some 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and the Milky Way galaxy is just one galaxy among some 200 billion other galaxies and this is the power of God on display in creation. Paul's saying God's power is at work in you, Timothy, for ministry. It's also resurrection power. So we, we read about this earlier when Neil read for us from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. What kind of power did Paul want the Ephesians to know was at work in them? It's the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Death is a tremendous power. Death is stronger than all of us. Death is not stronger than God, praise God. And the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the highest place, that's the power that is at work in those who belong to Jesus. It's tremendous truth. It's glorious truth. And so Paul was telling Timothy to stop looking at his own, we, uh, at his own weakness and instead look at God's power, right? Because Timothy had God's power at work in him. He had everything he needed to reject fear, And instead, boldly minister in Ephesus, and the same is true for us. And so I'm praying, brothers and sisters, myself as well, that we will just, by faith, receive more and more the reality of what the Bible says about us, that this kind of creation and resurrection power is at work in us because we belong to Jesus, because the Spirit of God is within us. And so we can, by God's grace, forsake fear cowardice, and instead we can press into ministry. We can press into one another's lives. We can love others, and we'll talk about love in just a minute. But if we're going to do this, listen, we must stop looking at ourselves. We must stop looking at our weakness. We must stop looking at our insufficiency. We must stop looking at our powerlessness. Instead, we must focus our hearts and our minds on the truth of God's word and what it reveals to us about what God gives us by His Spirit, which is the very power of God. So there is no reason, Christ fellowship, why we cannot fulfill all the ministry that God will entrust to this church in 2021. There's no reason. Why? Because we have the resources. And I'm praying and I'm asking you to pray with me that we will see God's power in two ways in our church. Pray that we will see God's power in greater boldness and power in our evangelism. Praise God, I believe we're an evangelistic church. I hear regularly about ways that people are sharing their faith with others. I bless God for that. Also know that if you're like me, you've let too many opportunities to speak for Jesus to go by. And so this year, 2021, is a year where we can kind of reach into the power of God and not let those opportunities go by but instead boldly go into the lives of those who don't know Jesus in order to tell them about Christ. And you know, we need to remember that it's the gospel message itself that is the power of God unto salvation. It's not our wisdom. It's not our intellect. It's not our friendliness. It's not our ability to argue that's going to save people. It's the Holy Spirit of God who takes the gospel spoken in love and takes that truth of the gospel and transforms people's hearts, and he does it by the very power of God. So let's pray that God will make us more bold. And give us more power in our evangelism this year. Secondly, I'm praying for greater purity for a congregation. Praying for greater purity for a congregation. I'm burdened that pornography has a root in many of our lives. Just burdened by that. So I'm praying for that. You see, God hates sexual immorality in his churches. He just does. I've been studying Revelation a lot in recent days. I'm sure many of you are doing the same kind of things. But then you look at the way that Jesus speaks of the church or speaks to the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And this is a point that that he brings out to these churches. He says this to the church of Pergamum. But he says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. And then to the church of Thyatira, he wrote, but this I have against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Here's the thing. The Lord Jesus knew these churches by name, and he knew the ways that they were compromising with sexual immorality, and he hated it. And on those points, listen, he was opposed to those churches. In Christ's fellowship, we do not want Jesus opposed to this church. No, Christ's fellowship, King Jesus knows the name of our church. And he knows the ways that we're compromising. He knows the ways that compromise is being put in this point. uh, And so, and so we must forsake it. But how are we to forsake it? Right, here's the thing. Pornography in particular, it is an addictive and enslaving sin. It's what it is. There's a spiritual power here. It demands to be fed and it's readily available And it's not waiting for us, it's coming at us. It's targeting us. Brothers and sisters, the only way to overcome this sin is by the power of God. And praise God, we've been told in verse 7 that we have the very power of God at work in our lives so that we can reject sexual immorality and instead walk in holiness before God. We can walk in victory, that's not a word that we use enough in certain, in kind of our branch of Christianity, it's really not a word that we use enough. We should use it more, right? Because the Bible says we're more than conquerors. So we should use this word victory more. And God is able to give us victory. What does victory look like? Here's the thing. I think we get confused here. I think, I think we think that victory means I say no. Victory means I resist. That's part of it. But that's not the whole thing. That's not heart transformation. That's just me. I don't like the consequences of this. So I'm going to say no to this. No, no. Victory is this. It's when our hearts and our minds are transformed to be like God so that we see the sin for what it is. It is a soul-killing sin. It is a dehumanizing sin. It is an enslaving sin. It is a marriage-covenant-breaking sin. And God hates it. And so if we're going to walk in victory... We need God to change our hearts so that we hate it, as he does, so that we can turn away from it and praise God, he can help us do it. So brother, sister, if you're caught in the sin of pornography, please know that at Christ Fellowship, it is okay not to be okay. You don't have to hide here. You really don't. You don't have to hide here. But it's not okay to stay that way. What we're saying is that there's an opportunity as we begin 2021, that if you're struggling with this particular sin, which has such a stranglehold in the lives of so many people, you have an opportunity at the beginning of this year to just kind of bring that into the light. There are many of us here who, by God's grace, have fought this battle, and God's given us victory in this area of our lives. And we would love to walk alongside with you because you know why? Because we want you to know freedom. We want you to know freedom. And we want King Jesus to be honored. And we want this church to be a church that glorifies God in every way. And God can do it. Christ Fellowship, pray that God will be at work in us in this way. Listen, so that Jesus doesn't one day say to our church, but I have this against you, that you tolerate sexual immorality. Right? God can do that. Let's pray that he'll do that. So we see kind of that first, uh, that first characteristic, that first resource really that God gives us by his spirit to forsake fear, And pursue ministry is the very power of God. Second, there's love. The word for love there is quite familiar. It's the word agape. It's the word that's used for God's love all throughout the New Testament. Agape is a self-sacrificial love. It's willing to give of itself for the good of others, right? Now, we understand how power would help Timothy to kind of resist fear and instead minister effectively. But how does love help us do that? Why does Paul mention love next? How does love help us to forsake fear So we can minister, and I think the answer is found when we think about why is it that we are afraid? What is it that leads us to be afraid? And often, not always, but often, the root of our fear is that we're concerned for ourselves. Right? I'm concerned for myself. I'm concerned for my safety. I'm concerned for my happiness. I'm concerned for my prosperity. I'm concerned for my comfort. But agape love, by its very nature, is self-giving. It's self-sacrificing. So it's not concerned about self. It's not concerned about protecting self. It's concerned about giving self for the good of others. And so we're set free from fear. And instead, by this love, we are empowered to love others, minister to others, serve others. And friends, this agape love is at the very heart of our faith. You talk about agape love, you're talking about the self-sacrificial love of Christ, who willingly laid down his life on the cross for sinners. So God tells us that we were created by God. God loves us. God wanted to have a relationship with us. God wanted us to love Him and serve Him, but all of us were born sinful and separated from God. And so instead of doing that, instead of living for Him, instead of making much of Him, all of us have been born kind of turned in on ourselves, and so we've kind of lived for ourselves. We have promoted ourselves. We've kind of put ourselves first. We've been unconcerned about glorifying God and loving Him as we should And it's often led us to not love others as well. We have rebelled against God in countless ways. We've harmed other people in countless ways. And the Bible calls all of that, rebellion against God, sin. That's what sin is. And sin separates us from God. And sin brings us under the wrath of God because of our sin. You see, God is holy, and we're not holy. And there's no way we can make up for our sins. There's no way for us to be good enough for God so that if we were to die in our sins and stand before God and face his judgment, we would all be condemned because none have lived a life that's good enough. But listen, there's great news. And the great news is that Jesus loves sinful people like you and me, right? The eternal son of God came into this world. Jesus God, very God, came into this world as a man. He lived a perfect life. And notice, what was it marked by? Continual self-giving, continually pouring himself out for the good of others. He always walked in obedience to his heavenly Father. He always loved his neighbor as himself. And then, in the greatest act of love in history, he lays down his life on the cross, right? What's he doing? He is bearing in himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And now the gospel says this, friend... If you will put your trust in Jesus, turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, Jesus will be your Savior. God will forgive you for all of your sins, past, present, future. They will have all been paid for because Jesus died to pay for those on the cross. And then you will be clothed, as it were, in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So God will look at you as if you lived Jesus's perfect life. And friend, that is how you can be saved. Notice how you can have a right relationship with God if you'll turn from your sins and you'll trust in Jesus. And we would urge you to do that this morning. Do that now. Put your trust in Christ now for salvation. Brothers and sisters at Christ Fellowship, consider that the agape self-giving love of Christ that you see at the cross, that very same agape love, the very love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that we can reject fear But instead, we can serve others. And so we have this second resource, this resource of love that frees us up to minister to others. Agape love will free us from being afraid of what other people think of us so that we can love them. You do understand that, right? You can't love other people if you're afraid of them. You're going to constantly be protecting yourself. You have to be unconcerned about what they think about you so that you can minister to them in the ways that they need. And agape love frees us to do that. Agape love, will be; it will enable us to forsake our convenience so that we can love and serve others. Agape love will empower us to forgive others in the church who have sinned against us so that the unity of the body is not broken, but instead we stand united as a church. Christ Fellowship Timothy needed this agape love. By God's grace, he had it, and by God's grace, we have it as well. It's a powerful resource. There's a third resource that we have. More briefly, self-control. Paul says, but of power and love and self-control. The word translated self-control there, it's only used here in the New Testament. And again, it's a rich word. It can be translated as self-discipline, self-control, discretion, moderation, prudence. And really, it it refers to kind of a self-control over a person's thoughts and actions and words. And it enables a person to live wisely, to live well, to navigate life well, so that he or she can minister to others well. So think about Timothy He's overwhelmed by his present circumstances in Ephesus. He's facing the impending death of Paul. He's facing the assaults of false teachers. He thinks, I'm going to fail at this. He's wondering how he's going to be able to navigate through these challenges. But into that trouble moment, Paul speaks this good word that the Holy Spirit, Timothy, has given you self-control. And that self-control is the ability to think and speak and act in a way that would enable him to navigate the challenges he was facing. And Christ's Fellowship, as we enter this new year, we're facing challenges as well. We have the continued threat of COVID-19. We have social tension and disorder in our society. We have the pain of being apart from one another and trying to figure out how and when we're able to come back together to worship the Lord as one body. Left to ourselves, we would be overwhelmed by these trials. Listen, we need to be praying for churches across the country and across the world because Many, many, many are staggering under the weight of these things, right? But the encouragement for us this morning is that God has given us a spirit of self-control so that as we face these challenges, we can speak rightly and we can think well and we can do acts of love that will actually help us to navigate through these challenges so that we can, by God's grace, come out on the other side of this stronger and more unified and more like Jesus than we were before And don't you know that that's what God wants for us? He's permitting the trials because he wants us to look more and more like Jesus. So we should be encouraged. Why? Because God is for us. You know, you look ahead to 2021 and there seems like, you know what? There's still a lot of things to be afraid of. But here in this verse, we've been reminded that actually, you know what? God's already given us everything we need. He's given us the very power of God to minister to others and overcome sin. He's given us love to die to self so that we can serve others, and he's given us self-control so that we can kind of wisely navigate through the challenges we're facing so that our our church and we individually, well, you know what? We don't have to fear, but instead, we can pursue effective ministry, and may God help us do that, and let's pray. Lord God, there's, there's so much in this verse.